Hey Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. As a parent, there's no higher priority than protecting your children from the evil of this world. We often shelter them and do our best to lead them down a better path than we have ever experienced ourselves. What happens when you're no longer the only adult who has control over your rebellious teenager? Today, I want to tell you a story of one daddy's girl who instantly shattered his world. In a small town known as Emory, Texas, lived the picture-perfect family, Terry and Penny Caffey and their three children, Aaron, who was 16, Matthew, who was 13, and the youngest, Tyler, who was 8. They were known by the locals to be very involved in their community. They were children with two loving parents who stayed out of trouble and were faithful churchgoers. Terry Caffey was even in the process of becoming an ordained minister at this time, and made sure to always keep a Bible within arm's reach. Penny was a stay-at-home mother who was very involved in the church and spent most of her days homeschooling her children. The oldest daughter, Erin, was known in the community as a devoted, God-fearing teenager. She spent most of her time singing for the church and was so passionate about it, she would often bring herself to tears while performing. Erin seemed to be focusing on all the right things to keep her out of the typical teenage drama by occupying all her time with school and church. However, after her 16th birthday in 2006, things would start to change for the worst. In October of 2007, she started seeing an older man named Charlie Wilkinson. He was 18 years old, making their relationship illegal in the state of Texas. Like most protective parents, neither Terry or Penny approved of them being together. Two years apart isn't a big deal when you're both adults, but there's a big difference between the mentality of an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. I don't think I would approve either. I definitely would not approve of any of my children dating adults as teenagers. It's not like they were high school sweethearts either. He met her as an 18-year-old man. What did her parents do about it? Charlie honestly made the Caffeys feel uncomfortable, and they felt from the very beginning something was off about him. However, being the parents of a teenager, they knew that they couldn't convince Aaron otherwise and hoped that their relationship would eventually flicker out on its own. They went back to the daily struggles of dealing with their rebellious teen and put their focus into church. The family knew it was a healthy distraction since they all played an important role there. Penny played the piano, Tyler the guitar, and Matthew the harmonica. Aaron's role was the singer, but she would soon lose interest in singing altogether. For the Caffey parents, their daughter seemed to be spiraling out of control, and her relationship with Charlie was becoming more and more toxic. Erin began failing in school, breaking curfew, yelling at her parents, and outright ignoring them. One day, her parents sat her down and told her it was time to break it off from Charlie and get back on track. They told her it didn't have to be permanent, but space would do them some good. Surprisingly, Erin agreed and even stated that she was planning on breaking up with Charlie anyways. Okay, well, at least it sounds like Erin's on the same page as her parents on this one. Yeah, it didn't take much convincing. I'm sure her parents were like, damn, we could have done this way sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It never hurts to have the conversation. So she broke up with him then? On February 27th of 2008, Erin ended things with Charlie, and over the next few days, Terry and Penny could see a change in Erin. 
she was going back to her normal healthy routine and didn't seem bothered by the breakup at all. Charlie, on the other hand, didn't take the news so well and was completely heartbroken. According to his friends and family, Charlie was head over heels for Aaron, and his world was completely shattered when she broke out with him. Apparently, he had even purchased her a promise ring, and they had plans to get married after her graduation, so things were getting pretty serious between the two in his eyes. He was determined to get her back, and he reached out constantly, and it didn't take long for Aaron to cave. The two began discussing how much they truly loved each other and placed the blame for their separation on Terry and Penny. In their minds, those two were the only ones standing in the way of them having true happiness together. Without them in the picture, they could hang out, have sleepovers, and run off and get married without having to get anyone's permission. These two had gone from madly in love to feeding each other's insanity that would eventually lead them down a dangerous path. During all these shared conversations about Aaron's parents ruining their relationship, she brought up the idea of getting rid of them permanently, to which Charlie agreed. Look, I remember being a teenager and dreaming of the day I could do whatever I wanted without permission. But even thinking about getting that by killing your parents is insane. There is a difference between the children that say, I hate my parents, and the ones that say, I would like to kill them. (laughs) They weren't serious, though, right? Um, Aaron would later claim that she was joking around with the idea of killing them, but never intended to actually do it. On February 30th of 2008, Aaron decided it was time to tell her parents she was back with Charlie. This obviously disappointed them. She was finally getting her life on track, her grades were climbing, and she was investing her free time into the church. Due to their disapproval, Erin once again went back to hating her parents and venting to her adult boyfriend about it. Little did anyone know, this couple would soon turn their sinister conversations into horrifying actions. On the night of March 1st, 2008, it was a typical evening in the cafe's home. Everyone was getting comfortable and ready for bed. Terry and Penny had just finished up having a pillow fight with all of their children, Matthew, Tyler, and Aaron, before everyone turned in for the night. They lived in a two-story home where the parents' room were on the first floor and all the children's room were located upstairs, which isn't uncommon. Most parents want to be the first point of contact in the case of an emergency or an intruder. The family went to sleep with nothing on their mind but the day ahead of them and their daily routine. Ah, a family pillow fight is so cute. But this is a crime podcast. I'm afraid to even ask what happened next. You know it only goes downhill from here, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into what happened. Around 2 a.m. that morning, Terry and Penny were woken up by two intruders kicking in their bedroom door. The first thought in Terry's mind was one of the boys had a nightmare, and they were so afraid they ran into the room in a panic. That was until he started to hear the sound of gunshots, and then everything got real fast. It became clear that the two men standing in his doorway and shooting at him and his wife were not one of his little boys. Dazed and confused, Terry asked what was going on. His mind wasn't immediately able to comprehend that he and Penny were being shot at in close range until the intruder's guns jammed. Unfortunately, this wasn't enough to stop the attack because the intruders brought one more weapon with them, a samurai sword. They began forcefully stabbing Penny in the neck with it until she was almost decapitated, right in front of a now-paralyzed Terry. Once the intruder knew Penny was dead, he made his way upstairs to continue their killing spree. 
The first person they came into contact with was Matthew, who immediately recognized the gunmen. Before having his life taken by a single gunshot, he shouted, No, Charlie. No, why are you doing this? This was the last thing Terry heard before he fell to the floor and became completely unconscious. Charlie and his accomplice began searching for 8-year-old Tyler, who was hiding in the closet. It didn't take long for them to find him, and they took turns stabbing him with a samurai sword until he was completely lifeless. Oh my god! I thought they only hated her parents! Why would they viciously attack two little boys? I think we have learned by now that these twisted murderers don't give a damn about these innocent children. True. Terry was still alive though, right? Once they believed everyone they were after was dead, the intruders started setting furniture on fire, and this is when Terry woke up to a blaze. His first instinct was to go get his children, but the fire was already engulfed on the second floor. So he made his way to the bedroom he shared with his wife, but she was already gone and there was no saving her. The only thing he could do was get himself out before he got caught on fire. So he crawled out of their bedroom window and dragged himself away from their home, clinging on to life from what he would later find out was five gunshot wounds. Terry was determined to try to save his two sons and daughter if they were still alive so determined that he would crawl for roughly two hours and 300 yards through the woods until he reached his neighbor's home for help. His neighbor immediately called 911, and he told them Terry was bleeding everywhere, and it's a miracle he made it as far as he did without passing out or bleeding out. Terry was taken to East Texas Medical Center in Tyler and admitted to the critical care unit. Confused and severely injured, the only thing Terry knew for sure was that his son screamed out one name before being shot. Charlie Wilkinson. Wow. He crawled that far while shot and bleeding. At least he was about to give the police a lead. Yeah, the police would be at a loss if it wasn't for Terry's survival. That's the power of a father's love, man. (laughs) Steph will tell us more about the investigation after a short break. Once at the hospital, Terry fell into unconsciousness, but upon waking up, his main concern was his only surviving child, Aaron. During the chaos the night before, he watched his wife murdered in front of him and heard his two sons get shot, but didn't see or hear Aaron. He wanted to make sure his daughter was okay. After all, she was the reason he even found the strength he did to crawl to his neighbor's house for help. However, the police wouldn't tell him anything, and they wouldn't even let him watch the news to find out any information. That's when Terry started putting the pieces together. He started to question why Charlie would attack his family, and the only common denominator was his own flesh and blood, Aaron. Terry told police that he knew one of the intruders, and he suspected that he had attacked his family out of revenge for making his daughter break up with him. The police were now on the hunt for Charlie and his accomplice and headed to his home to arrest him, but he wasn't there. There's no record of who Charlie lived with in that home, but whoever answered the door directed them to his brother's trailer where he often stayed. The police drove to the beat-up, badly-cared-for blue trailer that was more of a junkyard than a home anyone could live in. Charlie wasn't there either, but police wanted to do a thorough search of the property for any evidence, including the murder weapons and maybe accelerant used for the fire. Yes, I did see pictures of this trailer, and the only part that looked remotely like someone lived there was the kitchen. It looked more like a place someone was storing all their trash. 
conjurers we have a picture of the trailer on our website if you want to get an idea for yourself of how bad it was did they end up finding anything yeah so while rummaging through the trailer one officer noticed a blonde wig sticking out of a pile of junk which he found very weird as he started to approach it he noticed movements so he pulled the wig then realized it wasn't a wig it was the missing teen kathy teenager aaron the police were shocked And in that moment, they thought she was in danger. They were asking her questions like, who took you? Are you okay? And do you remember anything? Erin told the police that she watched two men come into her home and they kidnapped her, drugged her, took her as a hostage, drove her to the trailer and left her there. Erin asked them if her family was okay and what had happened. At that moment, the police didn't want to jump to any conclusions. They just wanted to get the facts straight. Aaron continued to play the victim. That was until two days later, when the police noticed her story wasn't adding up and arrested her. You see, investigators knew they had to gather all the evidence they could. Aaron was still adamant that she was drugged and kidnapped from her home during the fire. So the police ordered a toxicology report and gathered her clothing to see if there was any trace of smoke. If she had been in that house, filled with that much smoke, her clothes would prove it but there was no trace of smoke on her clothes or her body. In addition, her toxicology report also showed no sign of drugs in her system. I don't think she thought her little story through. (laughs) She's 16 years old, not exactly an experienced (laughs) criminal. This may destroy her father, and it would destroy any parent for that matter. After her arrest, Terry would finally get an update on his daughter that would ultimately cause him more grief than relief. Terry told the police, I don't want to know any details besides how involved she was. To which the officer responded, her involvement was great. This is when Terry completely broke down. He could not believe his little girl was capable of taking her entire family's lives. Though he was completely shattered, Aaron was still his daughter, and he made the choice to visit her in jail a couple days later. Now that they knew Aaron's involvement, they had all three suspects in police custody by noon that same day. The investigators turned their attention towards finding out the reasoning behind this brutal crime. During an interrogation, they found out that Aaron had convinced Charlie that they needed to kill her parents. They both believed that they were the only people standing in the way of them starting their life together without any judgment. In order to do this, they needed help. So they ended up asking their friends Bobby Johnson and Charles Wade to assist in the murders and be the getaway driver. In return, they would pay each of them $2,000. Their plan was for both Charles and Charlie to go into the home and kill her parents, set the home on fire, get out to the car, and run away to start their new life. The girls, Bobby and Aaron, were to stay in the car until everything was done. So now the police knew the motive but they needed to know what exactly happened the night of March 1st. All that for $2,000? Like, I get that's a lot of money for someone who's struggling, but there's easier jobs you can take to get that instant cash without murdering someone. Maybe their main motivation wasn't the money, but rather just helping out their friends. Either way, it was a seriously bad choice. Oh yeah. So what did the police put together? Yeah, so after gathering all of the confessions about that night, this is what they put together. Around 12.30 a.m., Bobby, Charles, and Charlie came by the house to commit the crime, 
but the dogs were barking, so Aaron decided they would have to wait it out. She snuck out of the house, and the friends drove around killing time. They ended up at a cemetery and sat there for an hour discussing their master plan. Originally, her little brothers were never part of the plan, but Charlie convinced Aaron that if they survived, they would recognize his face and voice so they had to go. Aaron gave in and said, do what you have to do. Afterwards, they headed back to the house where Charlie and Charles would go into the home and kill everyone. At least, they thought they had killed everyone. After leaving the house, Bobby dropped everyone off at their respective homes, taking Aaron and Charlie to his brother's trailer, where they celebrated by having sex. Okay, then. (laughs) I don't know many people who get turned on by murder. I think that's because we aren't friends with very many psychopaths. (laughs) (laughs) After hearing that, there's no way this girl didn't know the severity of what just happened. And there's no way she wasn't happy with the outcome. She would have been devastated if Charlie murdered her family without her knowledge. Get this. During the interrogation of the suspects, they consistently said that it was all Aaron's idea, placing the blame squarely on her as the mastermind behind the murders. Charlie was known by his peers as a good person, and to a lot of them, they felt like Aaron had manipulated him and had him wrapped around her finger. There was nothing he wouldn't do for her, and in his mind, there was nothing she wouldn't do for him. During Charlie's interview, he was asked by investigators, When you went in there shooting, what was your intention? He replied with, My intentions were to kill them because I thought I was in love. The investigator then asked, Was she worth all of this? To which he replied, I don't know. It was clear throughout that interview Charlie was very depressed and likely felt betrayed and used by the girl he had literally killed for. As for Charles and Bobby, they told investigators that they were told Aaron was going to hire someone to go out to her house and kill her parents. When they asked Charlie why she would want to do that, he said her reason to him had been, and I quote, Every time I get a boyfriend I really like, my mom and dad try to break us up. End quote. Oh, please, girl. You and every other teenager that grew up with not just one, but two parents that love them. Maybe they always tried to break you up because you have bad taste in men. I'm just saying. (laughs) Her reasoning is very privileged, in my opinion. Did she end up telling the truth after those confessions? Erin told investigators and her dad that she didn't believe the guys would actually do it, and she had no idea this was happening. Terry believed his daughter out of fear of losing the only surviving part of his family he had left. Deep down, he knew that it would completely shatter the rest of his life if he believed she was capable of doing this. He became defensive of her to interviewers and in court. He chalked it all up to her being a naive 16-year-old girl. This didn't stop him from seeking justice from Charlie, Charles, and Bobby, though. He was calling for the death penalty come trial. Terry had so much hate for the three others involved in the murders, he even contemplated killing them himself. There were times during the trial he would bring his guns with him on the way to court, planning to walk in and murder Charlie, Charles, and Bobby like they murdered his wife and children. He talked himself out of it every time, knowing it wouldn't bring back his family. Terry felt a lot of guilt being the man of the house and not being able to protect them from those monsters. In his eyes, he had let his family down. He felt like any parent would feel. Like he could have done more and anticipated this tragic event. 
His religious morals ultimately led him to calling off the death penalty request and forgiving all three of them. Well, I'm glad he didn't murder them because he deserves to live a life outside of bars. As a parent and wife, though, I would blame myself too. But there's no way he could have anticipated that night. I understand his urge, though. I would want revenge too if I were him. It takes a lot of strength and character to forgive the people who murdered your family. So give it to me. What was their sentencing? Well, in October 2008, Charlie Wilkinson and Charles Wade were each sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Three months later, Bobby Johnson and Aaron Caffey both pled guilty to murder. Bobby was sentenced to two 40-year concurrent sentences, and Aaron was given two consecutive life sentences, with an addition of 25 years. Bobby will be eligible for parole in 24 years, and Aaron will not be eligible for parole until she's 60 years old. When Aaron was asked why she did it in a 2016 interview with the TV show Killer Women, she stated the following, and I quote, When I look back on it now, this was all just stupid. I mean, for what? They weren't beating me, they weren't starving me to death, and I had it made. Daddy bought me a car and let me have a job, end quote. Aaron and Charlie were in love from a teenager's point of view, so in love that Charlie would do anything to get her back, including annihilating her family. She still has yet to take full responsibility and claims to believe she only thought about killing them and would never have actually been able to do it. For Aaron, Charlie and Charles were the ones that took it too far, and the media is responsible for everyone believing she was the mastermind. The reporter went on to ask her if she had any contact with the men and Bobby, and does she plan on ever having contact with them. She said she hasn't spoken with them, and she doesn't know if she ever will. He asked if she still loved Charlie, because he was still in love with her after eight years. Aaron said she does love him, but she's not in love with him. She went on to say she feels really bad for him and his family. Maybe the truth is too much for her to comprehend. It would be hard for anyone to admit they were responsible for their loved one's death. But then again, most people would never be able to do what she did. Maybe, but she needs to take responsibility. Even though she didn't pull the trigger, she set it all into motion. Oh, definitely. So what about Terry? It's been, what, 13 years? Where is he at now? Yeah, so as for Terry, he still visits his daughter and defends her innocence through interviews claiming that she was not the mastermind and was manipulated into this plan by Charlie. He has since remarried and is now a stepfather to two children. He stepped down from his job with a medical supply company last year and now focuses on his ministry and speaking engagements. He also recently released a book called Terror by Night, where he talks about the murders of his family and his rise from tragedy. Terry also did a two-week speaking tour. He visited churches and public schools to talk about everything he has endured in an effort to reach out to others in a positive way. He found a way to make something positive of the situation by helping victims and forgiving his little girl. If her friends are to be believed, Aaron Caffey manipulated all those around her and concocted a plan to murder the only people in her life that would have died protecting her. She took the life she had for granted. Two questions this case may leave you wondering is, does this make her a cold-blooded killer, or was this part of Charlie's plan to impress her? 
If it wasn't for her father's willingness to survive and ironically save her, she would have gotten away with this. Erin didn't just lose her boyfriend and family that day. She also lost the rest of her life and the fantasy she had for herself died in the flames that horrid night. Most crimes need the community's help to solve. For that, there's Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is entirely anonymous and the process of calling Crime Stoppers is simple. If you have knowledge of a crime, call 1-877-903-STOP, which puts you in contact with the Crime Stoppers Command Center. An operator will answer the phone and take down the information you wish to provide. They will never ask for your name, number, address, or any other identifying information. You can also place a tip on the website from the Tip Submit button on the main page, or you can download the P3 Tips app. To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Crime and Conjure Podcast for a question of the week. If you like our podcast, please leave us a review available on Apple Podcasts. Even better, leave us a voicemail, which just might get featured on the show. You can find the link on our website. Sham, what's our Conjure Tip of the Week? Today, I want to talk about grief rituals. They can be performed after someone has passed, holidays, and anniversaries. Writing letters short or long to your loved ones is one ritual that has helped many for centuries. It can include exactly what you want to say to them, whether it's memories you had with them or things you wish you had been able to say before they passed. This ritual can be very special and therapeutic. You can leave it with them before they are buried, at their gravesite afterwards, burn the letter, keep it with you, or bury it in a special place. This is a great tip. I personally have done this for a loss in my own life and it really did help. We will be back next week with another episode. Until Until next time, stay vigilant, conjurers. conjurers.